need to feed my spirit. I was once a king. You are a specter from the gods. Alright, you're listening to Wait You Were Mormon with Devin Brown. I'm your host, Devin Brown, and for episode 26, we've got the very lovely Callie Harward. He opens up about his mission to California and Ohio, a racist mission president, how the death of his wife impacted his view of the church, and much, much more. I think you guys will really enjoy it. Once again, if you haven't, please be sure to check out www.waityouwermormon.com for access to all previous episodes, as well as my social links. And while you're there, why not share a favorite episode with a family member or friend? They might enjoy it, and I would certainly appreciate it. Now enjoy the episode. Uh, just jumping into things, uh, can you can I introduce yourself? Who are you? Where are you from? What, a little about yourself. Uh, my name is Callie Harward. I grew up in Cottonwood area of Salt Lake City, Utah. Went to Brighton High School. Uh, the youngest of five kids by a, 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 a wide margin, a blessing or an accident, depending on, on how you look at it. My next closest sibling is uh, 12 years older than me. Uh, and so that really, really kind of shaped a lot of my, you know, I, I grew up with these, with two older brothers who were, you know, kind of just in that entering young men's and, and stuff range as I was born. And so, you know, as I was a kid, my view of them was really, you know, these like church guys who, who, you know, played church basketball, played church softball, went to the activities, went to Eagle Scouts. And so it really helped kind of you know make me say uh even as my life was kind of turbulent with some uh bad issues with my parents and my dad not being a, a great person and the eventual divorce of my parents and uh and stuff uh it really kind of helped motivate me to stay pursuing this uh but i never really felt like i was deep entrenched in the belief of the church or that it was something like the gospel of the church was a deep part of me. It was like, I did this because people I looked up to and stuff were into it. And I, I went on a mission, uh, was called to the Sacramento, the great California Sacramento mission, um, under president Richard Nixon. And, uh, uh, was there, uh, for a little over a year and, and then was actually, uh, transferred out, uh, to the Ohio Cincinnati mission. Uh, when that was over, when we came home from that, uh, bounced around, uh, 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 pretending to go to school and working at a ski area and kind of figuring out what I wanted to do, but really feeling frustrated and not very comfortable with the church. And like, I wanted to get out of Utah, met my wife who was in her senior year at BYU or, or the end of her junior year at the time at BYU, one year left. And. Uh, we started dating, got married. She finished BYU. We moved to Oregon and settled down to have a couple of kids and me go to school at the U of O and figure out where life took us. And it ended up leaving us right here in Eugene and five kids. And then, uh, unfortunately, four years ago, my wife was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. And, and this last May of 2000 passed away and uh, leaving just me and the, the kids and uh, we're, we're plugging along here and, and kind of figuring it out. That's, so that's kind of a thumbnail of, of me. Yeah. Um, when you were in Cincinnati, you know, I don't want to sound like, uh, I'm callous or something. We talked about, um, that a little bit before the podcast. Yeah. Um, so yeah. just, but shifting gears a little bit when you were in Cincinnati, did you ever try like this little hole in the wall spot? Um, skyline chili. Oh yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah. So, so when I was there, the, the big debate, so I came in when I, when I got to Cincinnati, um, as I, as I tell my story about president Nixon and the Sacramento California mission, as we get to that, uh, we'll, we'll, I'll explain how I ended up there, but, um, it was a brand new mission. And I think that's part of the reason I was able to get a mission transfer and get there is because mm -hmm. it was, it was like three months old as a mission when I got there. 
Um, it had split off from the Louisville, Kentucky mission. And so, but there was a big debate amongst all the missionaries there. You had to kind of decide early if you were a gold star mm. or a skyline uh, guy. And it was, uh, you know, the gold star was kind of for the people who didn't seem to be quite as discerning as, as the skyline yeah, guys. Yeah. But shout out, shout out to uh, uh, a great member of the church at the time, at least in the, in the late 90s in Cincinnati, the Buskin family who owned an amazing bakery in Cincinnati and would hook the missionaries up with gigantic boxes of pastries every week. Oh, <laughs> man, that sounds amazing. I'm, I have to confess I have not had any of the chilies. Since I've been it's, in, since it's, I've been it's in like Ohio. sweet spaghetti. Yeah. It's like spaghetti, but the sauce is like cinnamony sweet kind of instead of, hmm. uh, instead of tomatoey. Yeah. I just, uh, I guess it's, they eat it on spaghetti, right? It's, I was yeah, thinking of yeah. chili dogs for a second. Like I just hate hot dogs. So I, I never went. But, I, yeah. Oh, it's I'm, actually I'm spaghetti. You. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's interesting. You uh, mentioned, um, you had the two older brothers. Did they go on missions as well? Uh, they did. My oldest brother uh, went to Independence, Missouri. Oh, wow. Uh, and, uh, you know, kind of in a unique, during that very short window of church time in the 80s where men only went for 18 months. Mm. So he only went on an 18-month mission. Uh, that was a really short, I think, like just three or four-year period of time where the church changed that. Uh, and then my next closest brother went to Atlanta, Georgia. Okay, yeah. Did you uh, feel like your mission, did you think you were going to go to a foreign place or you're like, oh, I'll probably go stateside like they did? Um, I guess because both of them had gone stateside, like the, the kind of appeal of like foreign versus domestic didn't have the same appeal to me because mm -hmm. this is who I had, these, these had been my motivations for going on a mission mm -hmm. and they went stateside and were totally happy with it. So. Mm -hmm. You know, had they both gone foreign and I gone domestic, maybe I would have been really disappointed. But I, I can admit, to, I remember opening my call and, and thinking Sacramento. And the only thing I knew being a, a sports junkie as a kid was that the Sacramento Kings were always terrible. And uh, so I was going to Sacramento. And that, that, I mean, that was legitimately the depth of my knowledge of Sacramento when I opened it. Uh, so, yeah, you mentioned. Um... Your mission president was like Richard Nixon. Did he address that it, immediately with everybody, or was it just kind of like an unspoken like? Well, I, know, I came Nixon? in. Like, he had really? been in the mission about a year when I got there. Um, so the little bio that I don't know if the family puts that together or the church, but that you get with your mission call did not address it. And when I got off the airplane and the uh, stuff, it, it was not addressed. Uh, it was addressed in a zone conference a couple of months in, um, in relation to like a pre-prepared talk he had brought about how people would call during the Watergate stuff, people would look up Richard Nixon in the phone book and call and say awful things to him on the phone and then hang up. Uh, 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 but it was never like outright uh, brought up, like don't reference this or anything like this uh, or, or don't make fun of it or anything like that. Mm -hmm. That's actually like a pretty funny bit to me. <laughs> like, oh, people would call yeah. me all the time. <laughs> it's like, all right, yeah, yeah you I seem kind of like a cool guy, <laughs> Richard Nixon. But um, from what you mentioned, he was not a cool guy. And you were transferred no. out. So I'm thinking maybe something happened with um, old Nixon. Well, so so let me tell you, here is, I arrived at in, in the Sacramento airport. You know, I'm I'm nervous. I'm beaming. I I very honestly will say I don't think I had any kind of testimony or really a deep knowledge of of the Book of Mormon. I knew kind of the the basic stories of the Book of Mormon, you know, the the like highlights. Um, but I remember being in an MTC class and somebody talking about uh, something about uh, Christ in America and just being like, no, like you're confused, dude. Like Christ is on the other side of the world. And like this like momentary disconnect. And like, as they told it, I was kind of like, oh yeah. Like I, but like, mm -hmm. I did not have this like depth of the book of Mormon mm -hmm. where like when somebody first said that to me, my first blush. So I was, you know, my motivation to be a missionary was to be, you know, what I'd seen in called the serve videos and what I presume my brothers were these big, you know, like Herculean, you know, door knockers who had all this spiritual power and stuff. I, 
the, the somewhere in my training, the idea that you maybe needed to be educated or be able to talk about these things just was skipped over. But so I arrive in the airport at Sacramento and he walks up to me and reads my name tag and says, Elder Harward, would you like to know some of our mission rules? And I'm terrified, anxious, homesick, all the emotions. And I say, yeah, sure. And he says, he looks me up and down and I'm wearing this bright yellow tie that my brother had given me as a present. And I'm really excited about it. And he says, we do not wear ties with white or yellow in them. We don't chew gum. And it's yes, not yeah. And he walked away. He was a, a lover of rules. Um, when on our, as we went to our, our training and the assistants uh, went through all the stuff, we were handed um, uh, a spiral bound book that was probably about 120 or so pages um, that kind of either listed the above and beyond rules of the Sacramento mission or in great detail explained out uh, what either the missionary guide or the white handbook uh, rules meant um, down to a specific rating system for uh, we would have senior elders that came to our apartment every month ahead of zone conference and, and go through a rating of your apartment and car and then you would give be given an award based on how clean or dirty it was publicly at zone conference um, uh, uh, I, I, I can't even remember all of them I mean I already mentioned the color of ties you were allowed to wear or not wear um, things like that uh, then about six eight months into my mission um, something precipitated that rules was a negative word and so we no longer had rules in the california sacramento mission we had traditions and every month we would get a bunch of new traditions uh that we were that we were to enact and and the one that really sticks out to me is one of the first months that we had traditions instead of rules uh was that you weren't allowed to get change off of your visa card you weren't allowed to get like cash back because they wouldn't know how you were going to track that so if you needed change to do your laundry you needed to go through your zone leader or district leader i don't remember exactly and they would give you the appropriate amount of change to do your laundry and then report that to make sure it was deducted uh from the money you would get uh next month and 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 uh just i mean like really like down to like really controlling about everything like that our our number reporting sheet that we called in on on Sunday nights had something like 40 columns mm -hmm. of things we reported on. Uh, uh, I, wish, I wish I had one. I've looked through my stuff thinking if I still had one, I wish I still had one. Uh, but I mean, it was it was every moment of our day was intended to be under complete and total organization and control of, of what they felt was best for us. Wow. Yeah, that sounds like you were enlisted in like a military school or something. That's very, very much, very much. Oh my goodness. How were like, I mean, I, I imagine you probably had some zone leaders and district leaders that just that power just really corrupted them. And so my, my trainer's name was uh, Elder Morales. And I remember uh, I, that this was like kind of a moment for me early in my mission where I was within the first week of my mission where I was like, man, is this really something I want to do? I know this is kind of what I built my whole life thinking I wanted to do. I really didn't have any plans for what I wanted to do for college or anything. I mean, as an adult looking back on this, I think what a horribly organized and planned situation I'd put myself in. I, I didn't study or prepare at all for this mission. It was just all I wanted to do, uh, but I didn't really know anything about it. I didn't prepare for it at all. And I had no other plan. And so I'm really kind of out there just lost like this feels really and and uh, my trainer says to me my first week in the mission, you need to decide right now in this mission, there are two groups. Uh, uh, there are the faithful and the apostates. And based on what happened when you got here, some are concerned you're an apostate. And I'm thinking like I'm in the mission a week. And finally, after a couple of days of my anxiety being at like a thousand over like, what, like, what have I done? It's that I was wearing a yellow tie, mm -hmm. which I didn't even know was against the rules mm -hmm. when I showed up. But uh, that had in the 
in the mind of like you're saying leadership this became a very white and black mission where you were either with us or against us and the leadership were all very with us and then there was another group that was very against and and i i kind of just decided like if this if i'm going to be labeled this like let's go for it like if that's if that's what if they're telling me that my decision to be on a church mission is uh what's making me an apostate then let's have some fun with this and and i kind of became an antagonist early on in the mission uh um, at one point in a zone conference um president nixon referred to me as the godfather of the apostates um uh and the apostate crew it was in our mission it was really 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 forbidden to know the phone numbers or addresses to any other missionaries apartments you were in no way supposed to communicate with any other missionaries except your direct district or zone leader that you called in and reported to and so you know of course i had a phone book with everybody's number in it and gladly shared it with anyone who wanted a copy of it and so you know i was kind of just always subversive to to these things that uh that he wanted um uh, one of my favorite moments was as i had mentioned the car and apartment awards they had this bottom award that that they never handed out and they talked about like no one's ever had a car dirty enough to win this um and i my i had a companion and i took that as a challenge and we showed up with a car that i mean we went out off-roading in this thing uh we didn't take we went to fast food places and didn't take trash out the back seat was you know there was no floor in the back seat anymore and so they give us this award thinking he's shaming us and we go up acting like we've just won the academy award like i'd like to thank wendy's and mcdonald's and 7-eleven and the dirt road between our investigators house and the church and all this kind of stuff. and i'm watching his eyes just bulge out of his head and and it was uh, just one of my favorite moments of my mission sadly um but uh the real discord for me started with him you know I was still there just kind of being a half-assed missionary, uh, sorry, a half-effort missionary, uh, like a lot of other missionaries uh, in my mission and, and probably I suspect elsewhere uh, throughout the church are all the time. But I kind of enjoyed this cat and mouse with this authority figure who kind of lorded over in a what I felt like was a unnecessarily rude way. Um, or mean, I probably wouldn't have phrased it like that as a 20 year old, but how I think about it now. About eight or nine months into my mission, it was early spring, we had a zone conference in Elk Grove and he would, he in zone conference would give these like two hour, hour and 45 minute talks that he had had prepared that were deep symbolism. I mean, there was one, you know, uh, there was one about all about the marks of the garments, you know, the and and things uh um i'm sure i'm sure he didn't cross any any inappropriate lines i'm not meaning it like that as far as sharing temple mm. things you're not supposed to share but you know what the meanings of them are and how you're supposed to, i mean he really liked to give these long talks and in one of them he mentioned how the the leaders will sometimes do things and you have to follow it even if it's wrong like him and many within the church know that the 1978 revelation was wrong mm -hmm. and that just really bothered me like it, it just it it rang out you know like a louder bell than anything else that was said that day and i just couldn't i couldn't get off it it just sat so gross with me like man wait a second like here i am you know not often i'm not gonna i'm not gonna i'm sure i'm sure missionaries of the church today with how prevalent you know, last summer's Black Lives Matter and things movements are get hit with much more racist questions, antagonism about the church than I did, but it would happen once a week or so. And I'm thinking, wait a second, here I am saying, no, that wasn't, you know, that's changed. And here's like my leader, my guy, I'm, you know, you're supposed to look at your mission president like a father figure. And like, you know, he's like this, he's telling me that that's wrong. And like many in the church believe that was wrong. And and that just really didn't sit good with me. And I, I 
kind of just tapped out for a little while for about a month or so i remember my companion and i were just kind of like man this doesn't seem right to us and coincidentally right at that time we had been removed to a faraway area of the mission uh uh, we would always joke that we had been sent out there to get caught doing something so he could send us home because we were two of his least uh, least favorites. And uh, uh, this happened to be at the, the time the Utah Jazz were playing uh, the Bulls in the finals for the second time. So, uh, you know, we found a way to get the TV from the church to our apartment and watch some games. And, and we kind of tapped out for a little while. And we were really kind of, uh, I, I guess I shouldn't speak for him. I was really kind of like, man, is this really still something I want to continue doing? Like, I'm not sure. Uh, and so then we go to a big multi-zone conference uh, again in Elk Grove. In Elk Grove, uh, the church has one of these like gigantic uh, mega churches that has like three chapels in it. There's a couple stories tall and it's a multi-zone conference. And we're in there and he's up talking and uh, he's giving a talk about how horrible sarcasm is and how it's one of the top tools of the devil. And he says, sarcasm. And he's like, who in here can use sarcasm? And I'm a smart aleck who loved turning the screw on him. So I raised my hand and he made some jab at me as he called on me about like, of course, Elder Harward understands sarcasm. He's the king of it or something like that. And, uh, you know, which as an adult, I'm like, he just talked about how it was like the number one tool of the devil. And then he references that, like, this missionary of the church is the king of it. Like, that seems like an odd mm -hmm. juxtaposition. But uh, but I said something like, I really love Zone Conference and President Nixon. And he just like waved his hand at me, like in disgust, like, that's not sarcasm. Sarcasm is this. And he turned and we had and he said, Elder Contreras, who was this uh I don't remember if he was South American or Central American, but Hispanic uh, descent uh, missionary. If you were any darker, you'd be black like one of those N-words. And then he, like, audible gasp, audible gasps throughout 80 or 90 missionaries in the room. And he kind of looks up and he's like, that's sarcasm. And... I got up and walked out and my companion followed me and we went out and sat in the, the foyer and one of the assistants uh, chased after us and was like, you can't leave. And I'm like, I'm not going to sit in there. Like, I'm just not, that's, uh, if you, you know, I'll sit out here until the end of the meeting and then we'll go home. But like, I, I'm really kind of not sure I want to be here. Like that's not for me. And, you know, of course, he had a thousand reasons about how it wasn't bad and it was an example and it was like quoting. And so, you know, you could quote, you know, if you quote and say a swear word, that's not the same as saying it and all, you know, all these kind of nonsensical roundabout arguments and, and stuff. And, and so we drove home, we drove back to our apartment that night, which uh, was probably about 45 minutes away in San Andreas from Oak Grove, maybe a little longer than that. And I was pissed and I was just, and we just kind of sat in the apartment for a couple of days and then we were we were kind of done and i think we were both kind of just waiting like what are we going to do let's and uh so in a in a move of, of sheer uh youthful genius uh we went to church and went and rented a uh uh i believe it was a nintendo 64 i don't remember uh which I don't remember which console version it was for the local video rental place and uh, and proceeded to spend about 24 straight hours uh, uh, just hanging out in our apartment like a couple of college kids instead of missionaries ordering pizza and drinking coke and uh, playing video games and had completely forgotten that we had arranged for the district leaders to come over and do something or whatever they knock on the door as we're in the middle of of uh, just debauchery in the missionary world uh, taking place in our front room. And we were trying to pretend we're sick and all this stuff. Uh, and, and so they can't come in obviously. And then it kind of falls apart on us and, and leads to this big brouhaha where uh, President Nixon comes to our apartment and we have this big kind of like thing and he's telling us how horrible we are and how out of line we are. I'm just sitting here thinking like, 
yeah, like I, I have no respect for what you say or, or who you are, what you've represented to me. So I don't know. And so literally as soon as he left in the afternoon, uh, my companion and I just picked up the phone and called the church office building. Uh, we called the like information how, I don't remember how you do that, but I used to know and asked for the number for the church office building in Salt Lake city, Utah and called. And I just, the operator answered and I said, I need to talk to somebody in the missionary department and they rang it through. And I don't remember the, I wish I, if I could find a journal, I think I had one at the time, but I, I can't find it. I don't know where it is, but he answered, he said, hi, I'm elder X. And I said, yeah, I'm ready to come home. This isn't for me. Um, my mission president's hugely racist. He's made multiple racist comments in the last couple of months, including the use of the N-word. I don't want to be here. And he's like, whoa, 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 slow down. What's going on? He leads me through all this talk. And I was really candid with him about all the rules I'd broken and everything, you know, that I had had, that I had kind of embraced this godfather of the apostates uh, role and, and stuff. And, and I, I really think because... I had this trump card of like, I had a leader saying the N-word that was going to be irrefutable. There were too many people to say it didn't happen, but they didn't want to just kind of send me home. You know, they wanted to give me a chance to do something else. And so I got a, an announcement that I was going to the Ohio Cincinnati mission and my companion got an announcement that he was going to the Louisville Kentucky mission. And that precipitated what was a great three days of my mission where I got picked up. And I got to go have Sister Nixon in the mission home as my companion for three days. I don't think that was legal under any church rules, but I cleaned their windows. Um, I mopped their floors. Uh, I wouldn't mow, she wouldn't let me mow, she didn't want me to mow their lawn because one of the mission traditions was you weren't allowed to use gas powered tools. Not, a, not an official church one, but you know, an above and beyond higher law tradition or higher tradition. Uh, was that you weren't allowed to use gas-powered tools. So she wanted me to mow their lawn, but she couldn't figure out a way around around the tradition. Um, and then I, I took off and uh, got to spend uh, the last part of my mission in the Ohio-Cincinnati mission uh, with uh, President Kirk Wilson who and Sister Paula Wilson, who fit every role and, and crossed off absolutely every stereotype of being the the mom and, and and dad that you you view as somebody you value their life advice and and are filled with you know wanting the best for you and stuff it was a really dramatic uh thing and and uh unfortunately for me uh after about eight months in in cincinnati uh uh i stupidly uh started talking to a girl that randomly called to an apartment one night looking for a different missionary and and on New Year's Eve, uh, after I'd been out about 19 months, uh, decided it would be a good idea after my companion was asleep to go see what she was up to. Um, and because of the respect I had for President Wilson, the next time I saw him, he told me, I told him, and, and I got sent home with about four months left to go on my mission. Mm. So Wow. A lot happened. Yeah. And, uh... Yeah, I made the most of it. Yeah. <laughs> What, do you know if there were any like consequences for old old Richard Nixon? Oh no, he returned home. At, he he served the whole thing out. He came back. Uh, I I got an email actually invite to a President Nixon mission reunion. I don't know three or four years ago. Wow. So I saw him. I saw him and his wife once uh, since I got home. Uh, I don't I don't remember what it was. It was somewhere around Provo when my wife was going to BYU and we lived there for six or so months before we moved to Oregon. And, and I kind of just in passing gave him a, a little wave. I had no interest in going over and mm. talking to him. Yeah. Don't, uh, don't blame you one bit. Um, I liked his little phone bit, but not a cool guy at all. Like that's your go-to example. Like just yeah. on the fly. Yeah, that sarcastic. says a lot about yeah. your character, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just very, uh, he would, uh, he would brag about when he was steak. I guess brag is maybe could be construed the wrong way. It often came across as he would talk about how many people he had excommunicated when he was a stake president as a brag. Perhaps that was not the intent, but the, the tone yeah. would very much come across like in my stake, when I was in charge, if we had 
people that didn't follow, we knew how to take care of them. Um, it, very, very black and white, very authoritarian, uh, uh, very, very much. Yeah, yeah. Then, wow, and it doesn't sound like his wife was much better either, like really just trying to make you do all these menial you know, chores, punishment, like really kind of enjoying that. It's like... Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of think I, I kind of think they're very much of the puritanic, yeah. you know, mindset where like, you know, like like wrong choices need to be physically or mm. or publicly punished. Yeah. So wow, that is that is crazy. And then like yeah. the companion that you had obviously was affected by that. But um, other missionaries, are you aware, like, you know, they kind of shrugged it off. Like did people really. I talked to a few of them for a while, but the. I mean, it was such a bang, bang of me being, I mean, it was like a week after that zone conference that I was out of the mission. And, you know, then uh, perhaps in, in today's age, I would have been able to like text or email or whatever with those, but, you know, writing out a long letter and I, and not, or not having the means to make a long distance phone call back to these people. Um, I just kind of lost, lost track with most of them. There was one who I knew uh, was really bothered, uh, bothered by it and talked to me before I left the mission and we changed a couple letters, but you know, I mean, I, I, I'm honestly in a way surprised I had the motivation to stand up the way I did. I, I, I don't want to paint like I was some kind of like, you know, great, you know, ally of anti-racism or something this just seemed wrong to me i i probably made racist jokes um i probably spoke somewhat racistly often at the time i'm i'm, I'm not trying to pretend i was some you know uh woke person back then but this just didn't feel right that you know uh, I, I don't think i ever used the n-word intentionally like that in my life or, or intentionally derogatory names, but I'm, you know, like I, like I say, I'm not trying to say I, but this just didn't feel right. And it, it just sat so badly with me that it, it really affected me uh, kind of for a long time about just thinking about church leaders in, in general and like, you know, kind of how, how can I, how can I, you know, this is the same person that would present to me uh, the old Mormon ad, uh, if we're still allowed to say that, uh, of an ice cream sundae with a cockroach in it and say, it's just one little bad part. And I'm kind of looking at him now the same way, saying like, well, wait, doesn't this one little bad part by your own standard invalidate you? And, and it, you know, and... And that I that was that was just a moment that just kind of ingrained in me for the the rest of my life. Yeah, I, as I imagine it would, like, because um, it sounded like you had a hell of a mission, and in, in the most negative connotation of that word, of course. Um, were there any yeah. redeeming aspects at all? Um. You know, I, I think when there's that black and white line drawn, the people who fall on each side, like I think those who were the, you know, the leadership and the, the, the good missionaries, the good missionaries, in air quotes, uh, I think they developed friendships that were probably closer maybe because they, it was like us versus them. It was the good missionaries and, and the same, uh, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, we had so I had some really fun and, and good times on my mission with people, you know, and it was very much kind of a us versus them. Like, you know, screw those zone leaders. They're not going to get us. They're not going to catch us. We can do this. We can get away with this and, and, and fun, uh, experiences, both, both breaking the rules and both, both doing, uh, uh, church teaching, uh, you know, uh, actual missionary work because, you know, while I, I don't pretend I, um, anybody's writing any kind of ensign article about my missionary prowess, I, uh, you know, uh, no matter our, us being labeled apostates by other missionaries, we were still really, really devout 20-year-old kids serving full-time missions uh, that, that maybe just 
sometimes watched TV or, or, or snuck away to the mall or read magazines or listened to the radio or something, you know, uh, we weren't, we weren't out, uh, uh, tearing down the church or, you know, we, we were still, we were still active believers, uh, maybe just not super hardcore worker missionaries. So yeah, there was a lot of redeeming values, some, some really good friendships, uh, some really nice families and experiences, uh, made, uh, would I do a mission again? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> like I, I feel like it's much too coercive and, and much, and, and for a lot of the growth, that you that I felt like I got or that others get, I, I feel like it comes at, at too high a price. Mm. You know what's crazy to me? The, I don't know if you had any, but those guys who come into the mission at like 25. Yes, 100%. How do, where do they come from? Like, looking back, I can't, I can't fathom that. Like, I think my trainer was like my age now, like this Ghanaian guy. And then in my first apartment, like maybe two or three transfers in, um, he actually listens to this. This uh, English guy, Elder Barnett, or Barnett, came in, and I think he was like 25 at the time. And this is like, oh. Like, yeah, I mean, kudos to those people. That is a, that is a faith and a devotion that I, I didn't have uh, and, and never did. Okay. I, I, re- I respect them and, and I'm kind of in awe of them. In a way, I as as we're sitting here talking, uh, uh, one of the pictures I found of me that I was going to share with you has one of my favorite companions, uh, Elder Barton uh, from Sacramento. In it, uh, he was not an apostate; he was just a good guy. Uh, he didn't he didn't like to break the rules, uh, but he was not a weirdo about it. Uh, uh, and he was an absolutely true good person through every ounce of his his soul. Um, he got me, uh, what, even though, uh, even though I am no longer affiliated with the church, uh, what I still think is one of my favorite possessions, which is his mom was some kind of secretary, perhaps still is at the church office building. And he got me a personally autographed picture of David Haight that says to Cali, best wishes, David Haight. And he gave it to me for Christmas. So, uh, I mean, uh, there are a lot of, a lot of really good moments, uh, a lot of really good things, uh, for sure. Yeah. Um, what was kind of, I'm curious, like, um, what was your reception like when you got home? Like coming home a little early like that. Rough, rough. Um, uh, being the youngest in my family, I had nieces and nephews, uh, who were, you know, like already in like high school age, uh, because of the great space, uh, between me and my siblings. And so, you know, there was some, oh, nephew or niece X might not go on a mission or might not do this now because of you and, and having to explain, you know, uh, why I was home to my family and, and stuff. Uh, very much some back turning on me. Uh, there's a, uh, even though uh, I, I stayed in the church and got married in the temple and everything seemed to be good, there were, still a couple of youth leaders but the last time i went to my mom's ward in salt lake uh kind of didn't shake my hand and and kind of you know were you know on a, on a different spiritual plane than me uh and so uh definitely you know i i came home with some some questions and some frustrations but but definitely you know coming home and, and feeling like I was a pariah because I had only given 20 months to a mission instead of 24 was definitely uh, kind of dis- disturbing, I guess, or, or heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, so you have this happen. You said you did stay in the church for a little while. Um, got married I, in the I, temple, I, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd, I, I came home and, and stayed in the church and, and worked to try and, 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 and be active and, and try and just make my, make my issues fit and figured that, you know, my family who I still idolize and my brothers who I still dream of being like, uh, you know, uh, they don't seem to have these problems. I don't hear them talk about them. 
they seem to be happy. All of these people I know, it seems to be working for them uh, and making them happy. And uh, I met my wife. Uh, she had similar issues to me. Probably, you know, if mine were 10 ounces, hers were maybe three ounces. I, I, don't, I don't know how if that makes sense comparing them, but, you know. Uh, hers were lighter than mine or she wasn't as dug in on them as mine, but she found frustration or annoyance or disapproval with similar issues in the church I did. And it, and it really worked, worked well for us. We had issues and, and we both had things that went back and forth. And, uh, and I would say that we were probably on the path to just being one of those people who stay kind of in the church forever, uh, you know, maybe with some ups and downs and, and then when the uh, 2015 uh, handbook change, revelation, whatever, whatever is desired to call that, um, about the children of, of uh, gay and lesbian uh, people came out, it, it was really uh, what I've said to a couple of people is it was like, my wife's name was Laura, it was like, Laura had kind of hovered at like 85 to 90% by our entire marriage. Like there were things that bothered her, but she was never going to raise a fuss about it. You know, she'd kind of just silently deal with it. Or maybe she'd vent to me once in a while and then we'd move on, you know, for her. Um, and I probably ranged between 50 and 70, you know, when, uh, when things were going really good and I was feeling really high, maybe up to 75 or so. And, and I was feeling like I could really make this work and it, could make sense or I could ignore the parts that don't make sense to me or whatever. And then, you know, when things were bad, I'd lull down to about 50, but I was never like, Hey, I hate this church. I want out. Or, and then when that, uh, that happened, it was weird. Like my wife, I really thought we were going to leave the church. I was like, Oh wow. I wasn't quite ready for this. Like, hold on. Like it was, it, it really took the wind out of her in a way that it, didn't for me it disturbed me and I was like oh I hope I don't have to explain this to anyone you know I hope none of my non-member friends or people I know ask me about it because I don't know how to explain this but it uh it just didn't shake me the way it did her um you know of course that was in November in early February she was diagnosed with breast cancer and immediately uh, her, her, her questions just disappeared and, and she, she spent the last few years being really devout and, and really bought in, um, in no negative or derogatory way towards her at all. But, uh, I, I feel frustration with the church as, as she had cancer and was going through chemo. Um, she was left in as the primary president and, uh, really took time away from our family, um, took energy away from our family at a time when I feel like the moral thing to do of, of a church would have been to say, hey, this is horrible, but unfortunately you have stage four cancer and the facts say that 90% you're probably not gonna be here too much longer with your kids. So you don't have a calling, Callie doesn't have a calling, probably some weeks you guys shouldn't even come to church. You guys should go out and do everything you can as a family together. So that these kids have every moment of you they can whenever this unfortunate time comes. And instead she got continually reinforced and that she was doing the right thing, sacrificing, you know, not being able to get up and do basic like school things and other things with her kids so that she could make sure she had energy to, do presidency meetings and activity days and ward council and after meetings and, and things like that. And I just, um, it was really, uh, that was really hard for me because now I, I was still in a place where I was struggling and now I'm looking at it saying, all right, I'm watching our family kind of disintegrate kids relationships, not be as good the obvious feeling in our house that mom had time for church, but not for us. And I want to be very, very clear again. I have no malice. My wife was an absolutely amazing person and the world was a better place because she was on it. Um, she believed 100% that 
that she was doing the right thing to protect and save her eternal family and was getting reinforced by that often by people at church. So she was making in her mind what was the absolute best and moral decision. Unfortunately, because of the reinforcement she was getting and how drained her energy was, she wasn't seeing the real-time results that her then not having energy for our family because it belongs to the church was doing degrading those relationships. And that was really hard. That was really hard for me, especially as I didn't get the kind of spiritual buy-in or hope or whatever that came for her with finding out about her terminal illness. I didn't get that for the buy-in. If anything, it took me who had been kind of on a downward swing and was like, Oh, this is kind of a punch in the gut. And so, uh, you know, so that, that led to some rough issues over the last few years of her life. But, um, but she really was doing what she believed and what was, she was being reinforced was the best for her family. So, you know, again, no, 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 not a single negative feeling towards her, just sadness about what could have, could have been differently. Yeah, absolutely. I. That's exactly what I would feel. I would feel maybe resentment is not the correct, correct word, but I definitely would have like a remorse for time lost. Yeah, of course. Um, and that just makes you because you forget like all the things that you covenant to do, like in the temple and stuff like I will give all of my time and talents, all of these things. And then you put it in this, you recontextualize it, you're like, that is incredibly toxic because they will exploit it to the full extent. And, and you see stuff like that time and time again. Like that's, that's, yeah, I, I feel horrible for you. That's, I'm so sorry. Well, thank you. I, you know, I, I've, I've tried to be able to frame this to my kids as saying that, you know, we can, we can use this to show what we can do even when we, have limited ability, um, not that her, her physical ability was limited or mental ability or her spiritual ability or any of those, obviously or not, but, uh, but, and to push through and to do hard things and stuff. But man, I've, I've, I've truly been really grateful for COVID because the idea, especially right after she passed when, when I probably would have still continued going to church because I was not sure kind of what my obligation to the, to her, as far as my kids and stuff was, uh, to have gone and heard, you know, people testify of, you know, how powerful of example she was, even as she was sick and stuff. I, I've, I've thought about this a lot. I, I don't think I could have just sat there and not gone up and been like, I'm really happy. That was so good for you. Mm-hmm. Let me, let me share what it did for my family. Mm-hmm. And we'll see if we still think it was a, a positive because it was for you. And, and so, you know, as I was kind of, as we, we haven't had in-person church, we did for a very short window in like August, September. Uh, uh, but we haven't been, um, since COVID started. Um, and I was really kind of unsure after she passed, you know, I, I was really wondering what my path forward would be. I, over the last couple of years of her life, I had, had transitioned to feeling like I, was a complete non-believer in the, in the tenets of the church. Um, and that I didn't believe it's truth claims. Um, but where she was that any discussion of that was, was a real negative to our marriage and, and to her health probably because of the anxiety and stress it caused. So, so I kind of just wrote it out and my, my plan had basically been that I kind of felt like I had that obligation or obligation is not the correct word, uh, that I had that commitment to her uh, to do that until our youngest was kind of out of the house or, or whatever. And uh, a conversation with each of my daughters over the summer, you know, through various grief and, and things really sent me down a, a really deep thought of is, I don't believe in this is, is encouraging them to participate in something I don't believe in and that I don't really believe overall is, is good for their mental health and well-being. Uh, 
better than being honest with them and perhaps the trauma that might be associated with with leaving and whatever loss of friendships and and or alterations or whatever may come uh with that and uh basically i kind of decided that my kids had suffered enough trauma between uh, uh COVID and their mom passing in 2020 that i waited and i wanted them to have as normal a christmas as possible and so uh the first uh, january 2nd i told my kids um my almost all of them i think met it with like yeah we've kind of already googled about this and we were just waiting till we were out of the house at least my older two um uh uh and have just been in the process of the last couple of weeks uh, uh i told uh, out of just kind of out of a feeling of respect and friendship, I told the local bishop, who is a friend of mine, and and so it's kind of worked its way around the ward, and unfortunately had a couple of really negative experiences uh, since then. But I'm really grateful, and I want to make sure sure that I am uh, grateful. Uh, I know not everyone has family that that remains uh, loving and supportive, and uh, both my wife's family, my in-laws, who I consider uh, the same as my family and my family, um, while some obviously feel sad and disagree with it, have, have shown support and kindness and, and not been uh, disparaging or downplaying at all. And I'm, I'm very, very grateful for that. Yeah. Wow, I, didn't, I did not realize this was all still so very fresh for you. Yeah. 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 Very, very fresh. Yeah. So what's been, I guess, kind of like, I don't know, there's so much, but like what's been kind of like the, the hardest transition so far for you or like what's, you know what I mean? Yeah, I imagine you have a lot going through your head, but. You know, I think, I think the hardest transition in a way for me, it's just kind of happened already. And I, maybe there will be more that comes over the next few months, but in a, this unique position of having in a way already been separated from church, uh, because of COVID, uh, and having not had church, if anyone from my ward listens to this, I, I, I think they would feel offended by this, which I feel sad because that's not my intention, but following my wife's passing in May, other than one or two people who I consider friends, the church really didn't like kind of acknowledge us. And so that kind of made this, you know, it was kind of a little bit like, okay, well, like, you know, like it would every, every once in a while there would be, uh, you know, like a week where we had clearly been talked about in ward council or something where like, Monday we'd get some cookies and Tuesday somebody would stop by and Wednesday I'd get a text and Thursday there'd be uh, brownies. And, and it's interesting now being on the other side of this, I've been in so many elders core meetings and stuff and ward councils and things where people have said, you know, what can a plate of brownies hurt or what can a plate of cookies hurt? And I wish I could, and you know, unfortunately, as soon as you disassociate, like your opinions are automatically, you know, tainted, mm -hmm and not of equal standing or volition but i wish i could talk to to some of them and just say you know here's where a plate of cookies hurts it's when it's clearly an organized effort and it's not somebody who missed me or thought of me or was like hey i hope you're doing okay i haven't seen you or talked to you for a while when it's like clearly an organized effort and you're checking off a list of righteousness to drop off cookies at my house you, you've lost the meaning. It's not a nice thing. It's not like that's when it's bad. And having now been the experiencer of the random plate of cookies and stuff a couple of times, it's like, man, I wish these people understanding that there's weirdness about COVID and, and stuff, but you know, we could, we, they could stand in my front yard and we could talk or, you know, we could, we could sit in lawn chairs in a, a grocery store parking lot that I've seen people do or, or a variety of things, but it was more like they were interested in dropping this thing off to show that they did their churchly action. 
uh, than actual anything else. So a lot of the feelings of like separation and stuff and like, you know, like losing my, my community and stuff have already happened because I already have, like they've already tapped out. They, they've already disassociated. Maybe they've done it to everyone. I'm not saying that I'm special and they stopped paying attention to me, but the uniqueness of the virus situation, I've kind of lost my community already. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of on the hopeful part now where I'm looking to, you know, the relationships I have with non-members who, and, and, and things who are kind of excited for me and, and hopeful for me to start, you know, a different part of my life. I, I've kind of been able to transition to that, that part right away. Now, as people found out, like I've said over the last weekend, I've had a couple of really unfortunate incidents and and they hurt and it definitely feels like losing you know some friends and some lifelong friends and and i hope to my my hope is that i'm reaching out to them i've i've very much unlike a lot of others as i've made this decision i thought a lot about um do i want to write kind of my manifesto of of why i'm leaving the church and i i really thought a lot and thought no i i don't like like perhaps this is uh, viewed by some as like the coward's way out or whatever, but I want to just fade into the background. And, and I, if, if my friends inside the church are finding happiness and comfort and, and joy, I don't want to tear that down. It's not my job to make somebody else think their happiness isn't real. I want them to respect my happiness. I'm going to respect theirs. And so I'm, I'm trying really hard you know, to stay on that non-confrontational and I, and, but, but as, as, as you get it, kind of, you know, as, as the olive branch you extend is sharpened and shoved back at you, uh, it, it's a challenge. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and so your, your children then, you said they're already like, we could, my 13 year old daughter is the, the only one that wants to, my 13 year old daughter right now is the only one that, is kind of on the fence about staying in. Um, and from without feeling like I'm breaking any confidences of hers, I believe one of her biggest concerns is uh, having s the emotional ability to lose a couple of friends right now, mm -hmm. which is just such a really disgusting thing to put into the mind of anyone but especially a teenage child who just lost their mom mm. to think that it would even be possible that her friend would stop being her friend because they decided to stop going to the same mm. building once a week. Uh, you know, I've, I've thought about this a lot. My family is heavily involved in youth athletics. I coach football and basketball teams. I help coach at the high school with the football team. If a kid on the high school football team came and said, I don't want to play anymore. This isn't my thing. It's too much work. I think it's fun, but you guys are just more serious than me. I wouldn't be like, well, none of these kids are your friend anymore. Don't talk to them in the hall. Stay away from them. You've influenced them. Don't influence them with your anti-football propaganda from the devil. You know, like anything else, you can, you can peacefully stay friends with people and stop doing that activity. That's that's a concern for me uh, uh, with the church. And, and you know, one of the, uh, among, you know, uh, a microcosm reason of one of the many I no longer wish to associate. Mm. Now, when someone's like pretty fresh in a, in a transition, you know, they, we, we tend to go down a few different roads. You know, some people are like, I'm trying all the cocktails. Some people are like, I'm going down a history rabbit hole. I want to know all that, everything about everything. I know you don't have any animosity um, toward the church, but do you find yourself like, you know, I'm really excited to do this and this. I want to know more about this and that. No. Um, like I say, I... I'm fresh in that I'm just making this known to people, mm. but you know, I think my rabbit holes of church history or of Book of Mormon historicity or of, 
Book of Abraham or Pearl of Great Price or First Vision stories or polygamy or mm. race in the priesthood or uh, mission of apostles changing to no longer testify of their special witness or, or any of these things. I've kind of been going through those for the last four years, you know, mm. re, uh, uh, follow it, following those things and kind of I had that as, you know, I kind of was spurned into that thinking this was the path I was on. And then my wife's disease uh, jolted her back to a different place, but I had already headed down that path. So uh, the first couple of years of my wife's illness were kind of my uh, doctrine, history, et cetera, rabbit hole. Uh, uh, I don't know. As far as, as far as other stuff, uh, do I think I will, uh, I have not become a drinker or, or anything like that. Do I, do I think I will? Um, I, w I would not say that I will uh, never, but I don't know. It, it doesn't appeal to me. It doesn't appeal to me that much. I, uh, um, like I say, I, I, would, I would be dishonest if I said, you know, that I don't think I'll ever have a drink or ever smoke weed or ever do something like that. But like low on the, low on the list of, of things for me right now, I guess, as a as someone who's been fairly conservative in the church his whole life, and now with five kids, the uh, still some young ones, uh, and being a single parent, the idea of, of not being fully in control actually isn't that appealing. Maybe may, give me ten years, and maybe that idea will sound super appealing, though. <laughs> I don't know. Being being in Oregon, you never know what could what could happen. You know, very true. You very might, true. Might yeah, we. I think everything's legal here. Now. Someone, yeah, everything's, everything's legal, legal here now. So, so yeah. Who knows? Might go off to the maybe, races. Maybe, maybe heroin will be the jam. Who knows? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's that's, that's fun. Um, I I do admire like you have maintained a very um, a, a fairly positive outlook, like all things considered. Um, Thank you. And you've kind of given some some great advice indirectly but i mean kind of as we're coming to a close like um is there s anything you would suggest to someone that's kind of maybe going through similar circumstances of you, as you have is there just a oh man story you I, de share? I, de I definitely don't feel i'm qualified to give someone advice uh the only the only advice i have is that i i have found in my life that the times i try to be authentic and represent what really is happy to me is the times I'm happiest in life. And, and, and to me, those values are, are kindness and, and love and empathy and happiness. And, and, you know, uh, sometimes I didn't get those feelings from the church. And as I have been able to really kind of make myself and my, what I think is a priority, move those to the front you know over the last few months i as i've made these decisions personally and, and they've kind of taken hold and i i feel a peace and a happiness and a feeling of self-worth that i so i guess i guess what i would say is i can't i can't tell anybody i understand the social pressures and i understand the familial pressures and timing i would never encourage somebody to be like me or do what i do but i would say that i think the the more you can follow your your heart the happier you'll be in life. And if that's inside Mormonism, I'm really happy for you. And I'm not going to try and talk you out of it. And if it's outside, I, I wish you the best. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, again, uh, thank you for, you know, agreeing to come on and, you know, open up and share your story, get a little vulnerable with me. Um, I, I enjoy your advice. I think that's very applicable. I'm even, I'd be interested in some general life advice from you. Do you have a stock tip or something for me that I can uh, take no, away? I, I'm just... absolutely, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Way, way out of my realm there. Uh, <laughs> no, that's fine. So. Um, I will be uh, coming after you for those uh, old, missionary, old missionary photos. I, I've got them right here. I will, I will take pictures of them and send them to you through Instagram. Would you rather email or Instagram? Whichever is uh, easier for you. All right. You know, I'll send them to you right I'll now. I'll be on the lookout. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed this conversation. I, you know, I, yeah, I, don't be a stranger. I'd love to chat some more in the future. For sure. I really enjoyed it too. I, I, 
I feel flattered to, to be asked on onto your podcast and I, I hope anyone who listens to it finds it worthwhile. Yeah, I think uh, I think it'll be very popular. But uh, all right, Callie, uh, it's a, getting a little late for me. I'm going to start winding down, but I hope you enjoy the rest of your day out there in Oregon. Stay away from the heroin if you can. I understand if you can't. <laughs> I'll do my best. But have, have a good have night. Have a good night, Devin. All right, bye. Take care. Bye. Focal Point Podcast for the Focal Point Cinema and Sound Company.